Welcome to the show. If it's Monday, it is Mayor's Monday here on WHMP, and we have with us this morning, as we do every every month on this Monday, the, I believe the second Monday, Joshua Garcia, who is the mayor of Holyoke. Mr. Mayor, thank you for being with us again today. We really appreciate it. I'd like to go to the political news, which is also policy news, and that is the swearing-in of Governor Maura Healey and Lieutenant Governor Kim Driscoll. We've heard a lot about how they will pay attention to Western Massachusetts and, of course, how Kim Driscoll, having been the mayor of Salem for uh, a few terms, uh, is going to pay particular attention to the needs of cities and towns. I'm wondering if you could give us some sense from Holyoke's perspective how you think this administration might differ or might not from the previous administration of Governor Charlie Baker. Your thoughts, please, Mr. Mayor? You know, I, I do expect that this transition into the, into the governor's office sh- should be relatively smooth because a lot, of, a lot of what the previous administration has worked on to support cities and towns, you know, although a Republican governor had, um, did a great job in um, uh, working collaboratively with uh, folks in our legislatures uh, and from both parties. And uh, he had some progressive ideas on his agenda that a lot of Democrats were able to stick behind. And I could see um, the new governor coming in and being able to um, take uh, what was done and, and, and continue to build the Commonwealth from there. Um, it's fantastic to have a Lieutenant governor who's a former mayor of, for how long has she been for almost a decade, I think, uh, a gateway city. Um, and, uh, you know, the Lieutenant governors are, is the one that works on the ground with managers, administrators, and mayors, uh, across Massachusetts. And, and that level of insight and experience that she's going to bring is, is, uh, is, is very refreshing. I've met with her on several occasions. Um, and, uh, I feel confident that we're certainly going to, um, uh, get the support that that we need, not just us, but uh, you know, other communities uh, in the region in Western Mass and other parts of the Commonwealth. We'll sh- we'll we'll get the support we need. But for now, you know, we'll let them settle in a little bit, and um, um, uh, at some point, uh, looking forward to to connect and and start getting some work done. Mayor Garcia, when you say receive the support we need, or the cities, municipalities need, are we talking about? financial support? Are we talking about planning? Are we talking about integration of policies? Could you be a little more specific on what you mean by that? So there are some, you know, we have a housing crisis going on across Massachusetts, as you're all fully aware. Um, and we've heard the governor, um, the, 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 the new governor, Governor Haley, talk a lot about that. And in fact, I think it's a number one priority on our agenda. Um, uh, you know, we certainly have um, uh, our own issues here in the city um, when we talk about housing. And there's a lot of flexibility that the Commonwealth offers to, through programs and different initiatives that certainly is uh, helpful um, for cities like Hoyoke um, to uh, achieve some of its housing objectives. Um, on the education front, um, you know, she's appointed a, a new commissioner there and and uh, certainly believes in um, uh, schools should be controlled locally. And, and um, uh, you know, uh, we are very dependent because of how our budget is structured. Um, we're very dependent on what the state does uh, to be sure that we're sustaining the needs of um, our students here in the city. Um, so th- there's, there's an array of different programs and initiatives and objectives that you know that we're working on that that rely on support um, of our state uh, to implement. So, well, let me ask you this: You just mentioned education. I wasn't sure we were going to touch on that again this morning, but since you have mentioned it, let me let me pose the question to you. Uh, perhaps the obvious question, which is: Holyoke's school system has been in receivership of the state for a long time now, um, and. I believe it was in the first year or two of uh, the previous the previous mayor. Actually, there was an interim mayor in between. But um, uh, 
it's been a long time that the Holyoke schools have been in receivership. Is there light at the end of the tunnel where schools could once again come under the jurisdiction or the exclusive jurisdiction of the Holyoke School Committee as opposed to being essentially run by the state? There is. There is light. There is? Wow. I, I've said it months ago, and, <laughs> and the universe is aligning. Um, <laughs> and so I think, you know, with this new governor coming in just allows us to get one step closer to that. You know, there's a lot of things that we've been working on here within our community to prepare ourselves. Well, first to understand why the reasons that we got into um, uh, receivership, taking ownership of that. And now, you know, we've, the school board, this office have done a lot with um, trying, working closely with the, the current receiver and trying to like pivot and rearrange ourselves to be ready for a transition of local control. So, we, you know, there's a lot of collaboration, a lot of good spirits working together. Um, and so, uh, you know, the governor, when she was campaigning, committed um, to um, supporting the transition. There's still going to be a lot of work. I don't expect local control next week. Like, all right, we're here. Here you go. Have a nice day. Um, uh, you know, there's some some work we have to do on our end to be ready for that that transition. But what I have is the powers that be that's committed to that. And now it's just in a matter of timing and, and how we work together to get to uh get to that light at the end of the tunnel let me ask you this you just mentioned we went on education i actually hadn't planned to talk about uh today but since we're on the topic let me ask you about the new school that is planned or in the works for holyoke i, I remember some years ago big news that the uh, uh holyoke voters had turned down a debt exclusion for one school, maybe two, I forget. Um, two schools. Yeah. Two schools, okay. Um, and that was a that was big news. And I think you're back on the verge of, well, building a new school. There's planning going on, but I don't know much about it, and I wish you could uh, help me uh, help me know what the story is. Yeah, so at, at the time, there was a plan on the table to build two new middle schools. Um, uh, the... the um, it, it required us to go out go and ask for a debt exclusion, which you know required a vote of the community because building two schools, the, the financing of it wasn't sustainable within our own existing budget. So that's where the debt exclusion comes in. Um, that was voted down by the people. Um, a lot of concern around costs, but there were a, 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 there was an agreement of the need. It's just the disagreement was large was heavily on costs and what it can potentially do for the ratepayers. Um, uh, so, you know, very legitimate concern. Uh, you know, here I am now, we came in, got into the office. During that period of campaigning, the city was already kind of working on, uh, you know, the planning of building one middle school instead of two. Um, at the same time, that's when the whole reorganization plan um, uh, came forward where the district, we've been a K-8 model for, I want to say maybe two decades or so. And the district moved forward with a reorg plan that brought us to elementary schools separate from middle schools. And we just converted, we're, we're going in, going to be converting one of our old elementary schools into a middle school um, to support, because uh, we, you know, to go back to the middle school um, concept, we would need two middle schools, which is why we were trying to build two. But since we're building one, what we did instead was just reorganize and converted one school into a middle school. But here we are now trying to build this one middle school. We have a working group that's been meeting every single month. Um, uh, you know, currently we are now at the selection phase of a designer. We're reviewing two candidates at the moment um, and very much uh, looking forward to, um, you know, getting to the end goal here of trying to build the school. The, the biggest weight on my shoulders currently is the, the, the financing. Um, so as we go through this process with MSBA, good news on the MSBA front, they raised. What's MSBA? 
the Massachusetts School Building Authority. So okay. the state funds 80% of the, well, up to 80%, but there's a certain dollar amount threshold per foot, um, which they've recently increased. It's gonna support our project tremendously. Um, but yeah, so I, that's that's the one of our biggest projects at the moment is to get this school built. Does Holyoke have the funds available to meet the required percentage that a municipality must meet in order to receive the uh, MSBA funds? Well, we've we've been accepted in, into the so we're, we're we're we've been accepted into the program. So now you know now we're just kind of doing the due diligence. Okay, so while we're on the theme or just past the theme of light at the end of the tunnel, I'm wondering if you have some uh, anticipated date for when you might have a completed middle school. I, I understand there's a lot that goes on between <laughs> planning, plan, uh, planning and having a, a actually finished building, but any thoughts about how long this process is going to take? To build a school? Yes. Or are you talking about receivership? Well, no, let's, let's, I'd like to start with uh, the school itself and then I want to go back to receivership and ask you whether there's a connection between the two. Construction phase, we're looking at fiscal year 26. Okay, so it's a few years till there's a new school. Is, is, is being relieved from uh, receivership in any way dependent on the new school being built and being functioning? I, so there's no guideline or benchmark or an MOU that says do this and you'll get local control. But the more responsible things that we do, and this is my humble opinion, uh, you know, because when, when the state comes in and you have, you know, you're talking receive whether if it's schools or the municipality itself and receivership in general, you know, a lot of it has to do with, um, you know, how we govern ourselves are we being responsible with the assets available to us are we meeting our our mandates are we um so you know i think that the more responsible things we do to take care of our school district i think adds value to that argument right that we, that we're capable of um you know, managing our own school district. In terms of being in receivership, that is the school system being in receivership, does the state look a lot at test scores? Is that an important aspect of they, <clears throat> seeing they, whether this progress? And what's interesting about that is, so if we talk about test scores, there hasn't been, and, and COVID is the, the anomaly, right? The, every school went backwards with COVID and so did we. But even if we, if, even if it wasn't there, there hasn't been any major difference in test scores since receivership. So the argument, the big debate in the community for, for some people who are frustrated with, with receivership is they didn't do anything differently than what we could have done. Um, uh, when in reality, all we needed was more, more resources, which we got through the student opportunity act. Um, uh, so, you know, if we would have, if we would have had the resources we needed to take care of the needs of our students, then we can better, um, keep up with our, um, our, you know, these needs. So, you know, there's a big debate and argument. I focus less on that debate and argument and more about, hey, look, we're in receivership. How can we support you? Um, and what is it we can do? Um, uh, you know, how do we do our part? And, you know, the goal is transition into local control. Um, and so let's work together to take care of the needs of our kids while also working toward that goal. That's the conversation. But as far as test scores is concerned, uh, there hasn't been much of a difference um, between receivership and when we were in local control at the time. So, It is Mayor's Monday on WHMP. We are speaking with the mayor of Holyoke, Joshua Garcia. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I have another couple of questions about schools. I also want to ask about rail and how that will affect We'll be right back. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. What, what I'm trying to communicate is that there are many, many layers of, of safety management in place at Eversource to ensure that we reduce as much risk as, as possible. Does the Bliss Street Station intentionally vent gas regularly? Because I can tell you that it vents gas. 
pretty much every time I've gone to that area, I have smelled gas. 1015, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. Hi, this is Jessica from Fitness Together. I meet clients every day who tell me that as the number on their scale grew higher, their self-esteem dropped lower, and going to a traditional gym absolutely terrified them. Here at Fitness Together, we'll work with you one-on-one, either virtually or in one of our private suites in Amherst or Northampton. We'll help you set and reach your fitness goals, and most importantly, smile every time you look in the mirror. Fitness Together in Amherst and Northampton. Your self-worth is worth Fitness Together. I'm not sure if opposites attract, but most couples differ greatly in their views about household finances. I'm Frances Rayum, the money doctor, with Hug Your Money. Money is a very volatile topic, and most seem to either argue about it or rarely discuss it. A sort of division of labor emerges, one partner becoming the steward of household finances, the other less directly involved. This arrangement may work until a stressor is introduced, college expenses, budgeting issues, impending retirement, etc. That's when sparks can fly. Each person's perspective is quite different, and it's likely only a short-term solution if any will arise. The Hug Plan presents an easy-to-follow, long-term solution that helps get both partners on the same page, alleviating stress and inspiring them to manage their finances successfully. I'm Frances Ray, I'm the Money Doctor. We now offer advanced tools and financial coaching using our patented system, all under one umbrella. For more information and to schedule your free consultation, visit our website at hugyourmoney.com. Go out to eat, save 30%. Get a guitar or take lessons, save 30%. Pork chops, rug cleaning, hypnotherapy, save 30%. The Shop 30 store, full value gift certificates to local restaurants and merchants, plus tickets and events. Just click, print, and save 30% on the stuff you were going to buy anyway. The Shop 30 store, open right now at whmp.com. Have you heard of the Living Building Challenge? The Hitchcock Center for the Environment in Amherst invites you to explore a revolutionary new kind of building, generating its own electricity and using only water collected on site from rain. The Hitchcock Center is our region's first public environmental education center, demonstrating the highest standard of sustainable design. Come visit us. The Hitchcock Center, 845 West Street in Amherst. For more information, visit HitchcockCenter.org. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. If it's Monday, it's Mayor's Monday on WHMP, and we are speaking this Monday with the mayor of Holyoke, Joshua Garcia. We have been talking about schools and the school system exiting receivership and building of a new school middle school. I would like to follow up on that for a moment, if I might, Mr. Mayor. Um, You told us, um, reminded us, that the uh, Holyoke voters had turned down two new middle schools some years ago in an override. And I'm wondering whether for this building of this new middle school, uh, it's possible that the city still will need to have an override, another override, in order to secure the financing. What can you tell us about that? The goal for me is to make it feasible within our existing limits and capacity so that we don't need an override. Uh, We don't know yet until the engineer comes in with their estimator and starts doing the number crunching. And once we know what those numbers are, we'll know more or less what our next move needs to be. Um, But certainly the goal here is to defray that cost as much as possible. And there have been some little strategic methods I've been dabbling into to um, uh, to be ready to, to to help kind of contribute toward that that goal. One uh, aspect of receivership and other aspects of the uh, Holyoke uh, educational system that were uh, uh, well pretty significant news events um, at the time was that there was a large. I'm not sure if Exodus is overstating it, but there were a large number of teachers who had left Holyoke. And I'm wondering whether that exodus has stopped, whether or not uh, there is a writing of the ship, the educational ship. I have a lot of mixed metaphors going on. I apologize. Um, uh, At this time, whether at least there's more stability to the system than there was when receivership was first imposed. Well, there's that. And then there's also COVID that's caused a lot of teachers to 
you know, and it wasn't just unique to Holyoke school districts everywhere were seeing resignations or people moving on to other districts. Um, I think they called it the great resignation or something like that. But, um, but that was COVID related. Those that have left because of receivership, um, you know, uh, I, I think it's plateaued at the moment. Um, it certainly has uh, created a bit of a challenge um, for the district in trying to, um, you know, get folks to fill in these roles and and educate our students. Um, but yeah, that there hasn't there hasn't been, and I think it's kind of plateaued at the moment. If people are leaving right now, is it's mostly because um, you know they're moving on to other careers because you know whatever a result from COVID. We were talking during the break about the Holyoke schools right-sizing classes in schools, I, a phrase I hadn't heard and hadn't heard in a long time anyway. Can you tell us what that means for your city, please? So we've heard from time and time again from members of our community of the, the desire to go back to the middle school model. Um, and so we had to turn one of our elementary schools, since we're not building two middle schools and and if we're going back to the middle school model, we'll need um, enough capacity to meet the, 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 that age population that we have here in our district. Um, and so that to, you know, required those students to go to other schools. But what happened in that rezoning, there was um, redistricting of lines. Um, and so that made, you know, depending on what neighborhood you live in, students going to certain schools and within that um, boundary district um, and uh, teachers and, and principals got moved around as well uh, to be sure that you know we're meeting the skill set and the need with where the kids are going so there were, there were when i say right sizing it's it's you know it's it's reorganizing it's looking at our assets our resources the needs of our district and making sure that we're um you know hitting our targets here and as we know that the target is constantly moving, um, but doing the same thing over and over when you have, you know, different gaps in certain areas of the district that just could be resolved if we did a little bit of movement. Um, that's what's going on. So, you know, the superintendent and the school administration has been working tirelessly with the community with trying to understand how to uh, achieve the right balance in this reorganization plan. And so uh, all in the effort to, to help improve student outcomes while also trying to move into this, you know, middle school environment. I'd like to go back. I'd like to pivot here with the few minutes we have left uh, to Maura Healy's and her inauguration. And during that inaugural address, the governor did not actually, did not mention East-West Rail, which is the one aspect of her speech that received some criticism. And I'm wondering whether for Holyoke, East-West Rail and the obviously connected question uh, of North-South Rail here in the Valley, whether you see that as an economic driver for the city, and if so, how and when? Absolutely, I mean, we're a gateway city. And, and we do have our own rail platform here and and considering what's happening out east you know as people get priced out folks are moving west or just people from everywhere moving to western mass that um you know need access to those jobs and opportunities you can hop in a train go to new york or go to boston um uh, would be you know would be great. Um, it's going to, you know, east-west, I'm sure it's going to cost a lot of money. Um, but, you know, we're not unique to doing impossible things. Um, uh, if we can certainly get things moving in that direction and make this project happen, that that would, I, I, again, in my humble opinion, think would be fantastic for all you. Um, as far as when, I I don't know when that will happen. I know there's a lot of need and priorities throughout the whole Commonwealth where resources are going, but you know there's been a lot of momentum for the East-West, and and I really do hope the administration keeps that as a priority. 
Are you consulted by uh, the forces that be in Boston about um, about planning for rail, uh, east, west, or north, south? I mean, is there, is there a regional uh, presence in this planning, or is it not at that phase yet? I I don't. I mean, I know discussions have have taken any conversations that might be going on, you know, between the state and uh, our Metro and planning organization. So in this case, it'd be Pioneer Valley Planning Commission. But I haven't, since I've been here, I haven't been consulted with directly about any plans. Well, I hope that we get to see the Holyoke stop on East, West, North, or in particular North, South rail uh, sometime soon. And I, I don't think the North, South should take that long. I mean, we're, we're pretty close. I mean, there are uh, a lot of, there is a lot of rail service, for example, from uh, New Haven, uh, Hartford to Springfield. Um, and uh, I think uh, also coming up through the north, through the Northern Valley up to Northampton. So it seems to me that there is some progress being made on that, at least that aspect. That's happening now. Yes. Right. The, the whole North. Yeah. That's happening now. I think they've even increased ridership, which is great. Um, uh, but like I said, if we can get from here to Boston, um, you know, connecting that, you know, that greater connection of communities um, in Massachusetts to the big city, that'd be great. Okay. We leave, on that optimistic note, we'll leave it. We have been speaking with the mayor of Holyoke, Joshua Garcia. This is Mayor's Monday. The mayor of Holyoke, Joshua Garcia, is with us every month. We really appreciate your time, your insights, your expertise, and your leadership. Thank you, Mayor. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. The Massachusetts Department of Transportation is holding an information meeting tomorrow night to talk about a controversial proposal to build a roundabout on North King and Hatfield Streets. The state scrapped the last proposal after more than 50,000 people signed a petition in opposition over the project's impact on an archaeological site where evidence of an ancient indigenous village was discovered, according to the Gazette. MassDOT has since modified their plans. The meeting will be held at Northampton City Council Chambers at 6.30 p.m. tomorrow to update the public on the project. A pedestrian was hit Saturday night on Route 391 North in Chicopee. Chicopee police were called to the accident around 11 p.m. at the on-ramp at Groton Street for a pedestrian who was hit by a car. State police said the pedestrian's injuries required medical attention and the pedestrian was immediately taken to Bay State Springfield. Massachusetts State Police are investigating. An act establishing foster parents' Bill of Rights made it through the House early January 4th. The bill expands and codifies foster family rights such as appropriate communication, freedom from discrimination, parenting standards focused on child safety and routine, and training and resources. The legislation was filed in the Senate by Senator Joe Comerford. This delineates exact responsibilities of foster parents, and it delineates exact responsibilities of the Department of Children and Families, and it has a provision around prioritizing, as I believe that should be prioritized, kinship care. Comerford says the bill creates a framework so that foster parents will be honored with dignity, respect, privacy, and consideration. For today, mostly cloudy with a chance for a flurry this morning, otherwise partly sunny this afternoon, highs 40 to 44. And the outlook for Tuesday, look for a mixture of sunshine and clouds, highs around 40. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Adam Stremko on 101.5 WHMP. This News Minute is brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. Yo soy Johan Rashid Vega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. El republicano Kevin McCarthy fue elegido presidente de la Cámara en una votación histórica posterior a la decimoquinta elección después de la medianoche del sábado, superando las resistencias de sus propias filas y las tensiones en el piso que se desbordaron después de una semana caótica que puso a prueba la capacidad de gobernar de la nueva mayoría republicana. Ansioso por confrontar al presidente Joe Biden y los demócratas, prometió citaciones e investigaciones. Ahora comienza el trabajo duro, declaró el republicano de California. El sorprendente giro de los acontecimientos de la noche se produjo después de que McCarthy accedió a muchas de las demandas de los detractores, incluida la reinstauración de una regla de larga data de la Cámara que permitiría a cualquier miembro llamar a votación para destituirlo de su cargo. 
En otras informaciones, el presidente Joe Biden caminó un tramo fangoso de la frontera entre Estados Unidos y México e inspeccionó un concurrido puerto de entrada el domingo en su primer viaje a la región después de dos años en el cargo. En su primera parada, el presidente observó cómo los agentes fronterizos en el paso demostraban cómo revisan los vehículos en busca de drogas, dinero y otro contrabando. La visita de casi cuatro horas de Biden a el paso estuvo muy controlada. La visita parecía diseñada para mostrar una operación fluida para procesar a los inmigrantes legales, eliminar el contrabando y tratar con humanidad a los que ingresaron ilegalmente, creando una narrativa contraria a las afirmaciones de los republicanos de una situación de crisis equivalente a una frontera abierta. El recién electo presidente de la Cámara de Representantes, Kevin McCarthy, desestimó la visita de Biden como una sesión de fotos y dijo en Twitter que la mayoría republicana responsabilizaría a la administración por crear la crisis fronteriza más peligrosa en la historia de los Estados Unidos. Yo soy Johan Rashi Vega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Hollywood Media a través de WHMP. This News Minute has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. And this is our Black in the Valley segment with the Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Smith-Crooks and Professor Carly Tartikoff. They have with them and us this morning a very special guest. So let me turn the microphone over to Carly Tartikoff. Carly. Good morning. Today we have with us Natalie Lander, and he's, he, as you will hear, is on a special journey advocating for the oneness of humankind through his art, where he combines his musical talents with his activism. He is a saxophonist, an educator, teacher, scholar, pursuing his PhD. This coming weekend, on Saturday, January 14th, he and his band will appear at the Parlor Room in Northampton. And as the poster tells us, it will uh, heat up the valley, and we need some heat today. Both Hugh Masekela of South Africa and, well, first of all, this concert is coming on the of the Martin Luther King holiday. And both Hugh Masekela of South Africa, who this concert is dedicated to, and MLK fought in the struggles for freedom of Blacks in their countries. So I'm going to start with the question for you, Natalie. Um, why have you chosen to hold Masekela up to the light at this time? Um, it's not necessarily this time specifically. Um, I think, uh, his music has always spoken to me, um, on a, on a, on a number of different levels. And it's, it's definitely a show I've, I've been wanting to do for the last couple of years now. And, and I just felt like this was a good time to do it. Uh, you know, where I'm in a, a place where, you know, I've, I've played in this area a lot. You know, this area uh, has supported me a lot. They've heard a lot of the music I have to hear. So now it's a chance for me to explore other stories, other 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 people in ways and that have inspired me, you know, and maybe get, get develop a more intimate relationship with those artists when you get to play their music. Um, yeah, so it, it it's it's happening now, but, you know, I was hoping it would happen a long time ago as well. So I'm, I'm, I'm scratching this off my bucket list. Uh, Jacqueline, my, one of my questions, uh, good morning and welcome. Um, what is it about his music? Yeah, you know, I was introduced to it in the 60s, grazing in the grass. Yeah, and when we heard it, we had not been able to pronounce his name, but we learned to. Um, what is it about Hughes' music that makes your heart sing? Yeah, um, well, I think when I, when I first heard Hugh, well, not first heard him, but I think when I revisited him and like really got to know his deep cuts, because I think, yeah, there's grazing in the grass and that's like his more um, mm. well-known songs but i i don't think that actually gives justice to the depth of his songwriting and or even comes close to the depth like i think it shows his like catchy sense of melody and 
and composition. But um, what really struck me was, um, you know, sort of the realizations he came to as a musician were similar to ones I came to as a musician. Like, you know, and I say this because there's, there's so many layers that I could go at with this, you know, but I think the first one is just two musicians who um, play saxophone, also sing, also compose, who play music that resembles where their family comes from, but also where they've been um, and, and where it doesn't need to be so blatantly um, protest music, because I don't think Hughes sought out and woke up in the morning saying, I'm going to write music to take down apartheid. That was never his full intentions, but he just found himself there because that's who he is. Right. And he, he take his songwriting takes that natural evolution. Redefine. Um, and, and so when I when I listen to Hugh, you know, he's, he's probably the first musician where I could say if I was alive at his time period, I would be making that music. You know, and I think if you were to put some of my pieces next to some of his pieces, um, the similarities are there. Um, we're both have Southern African origins. Um, and I think it reflects in both of our music. Let me interrupt for just a sec. I'd be interested to know uh, what instruments you play, what instruments he plays, um, and what are the combination of uh, uh, music and instruments that go into go into this? Yeah, so, um, I mean, I play saxophone and I sing. He plays trumpet and he sang. Um, but we both also compose and write music. Um, and I think that's that's where that comes into play. I think our bands, you know, my band uses very similar instruments to what he uses. Um, piano, drums, percussion, bass, sometimes upright, sometimes electric, guitar. Um, and that's the same with his sort of um, instrumentation that he sort of employs in his music. You're going to rock the parlor room. It's not that big a space. It's very intimate and it's a wonderful space to perform in. Uh, who will be there with you? Yeah, so um, my band is, um, each time it's sort of a revolving door. Um, this this lineup will be comprised of mostly people from Massachusetts, Hartford, and um, New York, where I live right now. So um, we have Michael Carabello on piano, who's based out of Hartford, Dwayne Keith as well, who people might know of, um, based out of Hartford, um, Reed Sutherland on bass, and then um, Theo Moore on percussion. He's coming from Harlem. And, 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 Do you ever incorporate some of the um, uh, instruments indigenous to our African communities? Um, not currently, no. Um, but that's not out of the realm. But whatever I do, I like it to be authentic. So at the end of the day, like that wouldn't be authentic to me. Okay. You know, um, I'm a black American boy who happens to be Malawian and who grew up on certain textures and sounds, but also my entryway into those certain sounds was on this side. So in some ways, like everything I do comes from just organic. The sounds I make come from just what I grew up on and, and that me being the site of that and which allows it to have a very authentic Southern African sound. Um, and I'm not opposed to using those indigenous instruments. The problem is I don't play those indigenous instruments. Okay. The is, right. So that would be, we see a lot of white men going, going to this, this realm, right? You know, we, we've seen it all in the area. Um, and, you know, if you ask my opinion, uh, it always borders on disingenuous because it ain't them. Uh, you know what I mean? But they, they want to pick up those instruments like it is them. But it ain't, you know, uh, because I've, I've heard those instruments when I'm in Malawi. And I, and I know what it can do. So yeah. if you know what it can do, then don't do it. <laughs> you know gotcha. what I'm saying? Like if you, if you know what it, if, gotcha. if you know the potential, if you're not reaching that potential, be true to yourself for the truth will set you free. Yeah, uh, more. Yes. I think more people when they're delving in, and I think that's why I don't call what I do world music. I don't call what I do in the same realm as what a lot of those people do because um, the authenticity of it. You know, if I were to go to Malawi, they're going to call me Malawian. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. That's the difference between a lot of other people who make this music. Um, you know, uh, and that's sort of where I go from it. You know, I never, I don't call what I do Southern African music. But I, I, I am Southern African. It's from my experiences of being that. And so then it just reflects in there. Love it. Could you now, tell I, us a bit I, more? Let me know. I'm just fascinated. I, Could you tell us a bit more about your background? You talk about being from South, South Africa. Uh, where, where did you grow up? Where, did, where was your first musical influence? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not South Africa. Southern Africa. Southern right? Africa. So we, sorry. Yeah. So my family's from Malawi. Oh, um, okay. I got Malawian. it. My grandfather's Malawian. 
um, I still had family in Malawi. Um, and, and so, but my mother, um, was black American. And so I grew up in the States. I grew up all over, um, between the Midwest, the South, um, outside of Boston, Brockton, Massachusetts as well. Um, and I didn't go to Malawi until I was 24. Oh, okay. Um, but, but, you know, um, mainly because we didn't have it like that. You know, I'm a poor black kid who, you know, we, we were poor, poor, right? So the idea of going to Malawi escapes me. Um, but when it presented itself, I took it. Um, and, and so through there, um, it did bridge a lot of connections for me um, from a family point, right? Of just knowing what my family had been through um, under a dictator for 30 years, but then also knowing um, getting a better understanding of the sounds. Cause when I go out there, I, I do play with the musicians out there and I, I learn from them and, and I grew up with that music. And so, but it, it, it does, it changes when you grow up with that music and you go to the source of that music. And when you play with those people, you know, um, uh, I'm, I'm only two degrees from Hugh Masekela in terms of my musical boundaries, you know what I'm saying? I've played with a number of people who have played with him. I've played with people who have studied under him, you know, and, and not just him, but Leta Mbulu and all these other uh, Southern African jazz giants and, and also African jazz giants and music jazz giants. Um, and, and so those are, that's sort of where my background comes from. Um, I'm a jazz musician who started playing, um, through gospel music and jazz and R and B. Um, and so I, all that stuff is present in my music. Like, I don't think when you're listening to my music, um, it does sound in many ways, Southern African it also sounds R and B. It also sounds soul. You hear the jazz and I try to reflect all those different experiences that I've had that are real, you know, not one thing can be checked at the door. Um, you know, um, so yeah, those, that, that's a bit of my background. We don't want to miss where we're supposed to come on January 14th. Can you tell us um, the times and how we can get tickets? Uh, yeah, so yeah. Um, so it is uh, January 14th, I believe um, doors should open at 7, 7, 730. Mm -hmm. um, Parlor Room, Northampton. You can get tickets at signaturesoundspresents.com. I encourage people to buy tickets sooner than later, as um, most of my shows uh, usually sell out in parlor room, like we were saying, is an intimate space. And so last time I played there, people got turned away. Uh, right, so don't so don't get caught slipping. You know, <laughs> um, you know um, I think they told me someone came all the way from Maine and got turned away at the door because they didn't want to buy tickets ahead of time. Um, so uh, buy tickets ahead of time so you don't get caught up in the cold. Yeah, I'm trying to get tickets, and uh, it's not as easy as it may sound. Well, go to the par go to the par room website and uh, buy your tickets. Yes. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back with more right after yes. this. Bill Newman, WHMP. The Afternoon Buzz with legendary civil rights attorney from Ashfield, Buzz Eisenberg. Buzz will bring you his take on the day's news, plus arts, culture, and politics from the Valley weekday afternoons at 4. The only live and local talk in the Valley and for the Valley. The Afternoon Buzz, 101.5 WHMP. They say that the one constant in life is change, and while that might be true for most things, one thing that hasn't changed is the great meal and great time you're always going to have at Roberto's in downtown Northampton. Stop by six nights a week to dine in, hang at the bar. If you don't want to eat in, there's always Roberto's new online ordering system. Just go to robertosnorthampton.com and you can order, pay, and pick up dinner six nights a week. Roberto's is open every day except Tuesdays, right on Pleasant Street in downtown Northampton. And save 30% on the Shop 30 store. 
Want to support the kind of local talk you hear on The Bill Newman Show? Want to hear your business's message here on WHMP? Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com. We'll help you craft a marketing message that'll reach listeners of your favorite WHMP show. And we'll be supporting the local news, valley talk, and progressive voices you hear right here on WHMP. Let us know about your message. Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com. And add your message to our mission. And hear your message right here on WHMP. Your message at whmp.com. This is uh, from Rioja, and this is the Tierra. That means Earth. Thank, Thank you. you. I knew my language acquisition would come in handy. Every Friday morning, Monty visits the wine snobs to talk about wine at State Street. When you compare Spanish wines, Rioja especially, which is kind of like the Bordeaux of Spain, 90% of the time, stuff that you can get for $12, $15, $20 for Rioja is going to rival things that you're going to get for $30, $35 for Bordeaux. The Tierra is still under 20 at $18.99. I mean, give me a break. I know. Yeah. Nose a little dustier on this one. Yeah. And fruit. Almost like a caramel, actually. It's like cherry cola. Oh, yeah, and this is a, is a Crianza. It is a Crianza. Which is a newer, like a fresher Rioja, right? That's true. Not yeah. quite Hoven. Crianza, it, it doesn't involve nearly as much of the barrel aging as a Reserva or Grand Reserva. I love this. Find your favorite wine and your next favorite wine at State Street Fruit Store Deli Wines and Spirits. Imagine working hard for so many years and reaching your retirement only to find out there's an issue with your pension or 401k. Unfortunately, it's a problem too many Americans face. The New England Pension Assistance Project can help you get the benefits you've earned by providing free legal help. Contact the New England Pension Assistance Project at 888-425-6067 or visit them online at pensionhelp.org slash New England. A public service from the U.S. Administration on Aging's Pension Counseling and Information Program. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. We continue our Black in the Valley segment with the Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Smith-Crooks and Professor Charlie Tartikoff and their very special guest today, Mitali Banda, who will be at the Power Room January 14th with his band. The microphone goes back to either Carly or Jacqueline. Jacqueline, I'll take it up. Though you'll be at the Northampton Parlor Room, there's uh, another space that you occupy on occasion, and that's your role as an educator and in the process of becoming a scholar, quote unquote. Um, how, how, how do you weave those pieces together? Yeah, um, so that, that's this, this, me going back to Malawi is what inspired me to go back to grad school. Um, I originally, you know, when I, when I started going back to Malawi, um, I got embraced by the, the country and the music community in ways I wasn't necessarily expecting, and it put me into certain spaces, and it made me really appreciate the music and 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 the movement that's happening out there in terms of who who is who are the musicians that have the biggest platforms, how are they using their platforms, um, and so I went back to grad school because that's something I wanted to study, um, and then I sort of got into this idea of writing a dissertation that mirrors me going back home, but is a is a narrative, um, and so. Um, you know, I'm, I'm working on, 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 on a project in which it, it tells a story of me going back home. You know, there was a lot of a depth to why I went back home, the reasons I went back home, um, things I was going through and, and tracing some of those things I was going through to family members. And then when you trace it back to those family members and you trace back what they've been through, it mm. all started in Malawi. And so I had to go back there to, to make sense of things. Um, but through doing that, it, it, it allowed me and opened my eyes up to many different stories that were unfolding. One was me just being a black man who had grown up here in the States and was trying to figure out where I fit in this world and how I want to use my voice. Another was understanding my father and what he went through as a black man, as a two-time refugee, um, and, and what that looks like and how that can impact the family. And then the other was just like looking at the history of a country and how they choose to remember their past. You know, um, Malawi has deep ties to South Africa, but not in the ways we'd like it to, you know, um, and that's that's an inconvenient truth. Our, our dictator um, supported apartheid and in part um, South Africa supported Malawi. Right. That's a that's a known that's a known fact. Um, and so uh, that was sort of what sparked me to go back. Um, I do education in so many different realms, but for me. Um, when I'm doing my PhD, that that is, um, it's a very personal story that I'm telling, but in a sense, 
that personal story is meant to inspire other stories. You know, um, there's a way that, you know, when I'm telling this story, I want people to integrate. How do we look at our own governments? You know, I'm looking at a country that has chosen to forget its past. And I'm, I'm sort of remembering a period that we don't necessarily like to remember for the factual truths that happened under the dictator um, Hastings Kamuzu Banda. Um, but through understanding that, then maybe it, it impacts how do we understand our own reality, right? How do we understand what uh, uh, mobilization looks like? How do we understand, you know, how do we question the stories that we're told, the truths that we're told, um, because maybe those aren't always truths. Um, and mm -hmm. so that's that's sort of what my PhD is looking at and examining um, here. Awesome. Awesome. Are these Thanks. themes in your music and lyrics as well as in the music itself? Yeah. So my, my upcoming album um, is actually about all of this. Um, it's about me going back to Malawi, learning about my father's history. So all my pieces tell that story. And I'm actually going to do a couple of original pieces at this show. One, to just show people how similar me and his music can be when you put it together, but also in, in the same sense, unique and, and different. Um, but I, I write about all this. Yeah, I write about um, going back home. I write about what that means. I write about the spiritual dimensions of it. I write about my ancestors, um, some of which are old, some of which are recent ancestors. And and, and, I, and I try to tell this woven story that blends in history, blend, blends in family, but also blends in this sort of spiritual, fantastical world around us um, that gives you a little bit of suspended disbelief because you need that in music. Yeah. You can't, you can't be ground, you know, grounded in too much reality when you're trying to make pretty sounds. <laughs> I, I have a quick question for you, about 30 seconds. Um, yeah. uh, for you, does the music come first or do the lyrics come first? Or, or is that, not, um, is that a, just a bad question because they come together? Usually the music comes first and the lyrics flow right after. Yeah. You know, um, it's very easy for me to find lyrics when the melody is already there. Jacqueline or Carly? I have one, one, one question. Uh, I want to know what it was like to be on the set of I Want to Dance with Somebody, the movie that just came out that uh, highlights the life of Whitney Houston. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, that was amazing. Um, I got to play background saxophone in one of the scenes to that movie. I still haven't seen the movie yet, um, but I'm somewhere in there. Um, but it was just brilliant being in that on that set, witnessing her greatness. Yeah. It almost felt like, um, you know, the way she got into character, it felt like what it must have been like to be on the set of Jamie Foxx and Ray. Um, and it was like witnessing the ghost of Whitney. Yeah. Well, we're going to have to stop now. We'd like to have you back. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you very much. And part of your journey with us. And I'm looking forward to seeing you on the 14th. At the Power Room in Northampton, Natalia Banda. Right. Thank you so very much. This has been Thank you. Black in the Valley. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. What if there were a way to go into cancer surgery or treatment feeling more comfortable and optimistic? Recorded meditations can help. Doctors have said that it makes their job simpler. Nurses tell us their patients may go home sooner and need less pain medication. Cancer Connection creates custom meditations for people affected by cancer, and you don't even have to come in. Go to cancer-connection.org to learn more or donate today. Cancer Connection relies on local donations to make its services free of charge. I didn't think it was possible for me to be an alcoholic. I was 24 with a good career. I thought that alcoholism only happened to middle-aged men and celebrities. I thought something else was making me sick, shaky, and afraid to face people. Then I found AA and discovered it wasn't something else. It was alcohol. Live and local AA news helped me and find talk for Northampton and the Valley alcoholism. since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. A Northampton Radio Group Station. It